You're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to join us or find out more, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au. Good morning, Gateway. How many of you were envisioning a group of nuns up here singing? Yeah, instead you just got me. None of this, none of that, none in the true sense of the word. But uh, it is a privilege to be with you, those of you joining us online this morning. You know, that song, I Will Follow You, was made famous by uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and the nuns in the movie Sister Act, the Hollywood movie, are singing it to the Pope in devotion to God. But the song was actually first made popular many years ago of a lady who wrote this song in devotion to the man of her dreams, that she would follow him no matter what. And ladies, this morning, how many of you, when you woke up, You rolled over, you saw the man of your dreams laying there and you said, honey, I will follow you. There is no mountain high enough, no valley deep enough. I will follow you no matter what. How many? Come on, ladies. I see that hand. One, (laughs) two, I see that hand. Hence why I have not married ladies, but... uh, You know, it's a song that I believe we would picture the disciples singing when uh, Jesus said, come, follow me, leaving their nets behind and saying, I will follow you, follow you no matter what. And it's a song that uh, I would like to express my devotion to God, that I would follow him no matter what he's calling me to. Unfortunately, I've realized that is not always the case. Um, I have a pet dog, her name is Brandy. You'll see a photo of her up on the screen. And yes, oh, isn't she cute? Husband, dog, husband. Anyway, um, Brandy will follow me no matter where I go, to the bathroom, to the laundry, if I go out to the garage to get something and I'm gone for like 60 seconds, when I come back, she like greets me like I've been gone for six days. Her devotion to following me, one step behind me to the point that I'm always tripping over her and she does worse for wear if I trip over her. But she will follow me except when I go to the off-leash dog park. Then, when it's time to go home, Brandy, come on, let's go. She looks at me and she runs in the opposite direction as fast as her little legs will carry her. She will not follow me. She has what I call select motivation to follow me. It's very selective, depends on the circumstances that she will follow me. And it reminds me somewhat of my own walk with God, the times where I think I suffer a little bit of selective motivation in following God. And I think my song, if I was to to picture what my song would sound like, would be something like this. I will follow you, follow you wherever you may go. 
as it's where I want to go, as long as it's what I want to do, I will follow. I would think that, oh, thank you, thank you. We need to get Jason singing a bit up here, I think. But just like Brandy, very selective that sometimes I will follow you not is probably more the case. And this morning I want to focus on someone that I believe suffered from selective motivation in following God. Someone that when God called him, he actually did all in his power to run in the opposite direction. Can you think of who I'm referring to this morning? Jonah. And when you think of Jonah, what's the, the thought that comes to mind? Did, it, did anyone say the whale? Jonah and the whale. Tim Mackey, the, the creator of the Bible Project, he said, for most of us, when it comes to the book of Jonah, we have what's called the veggie tale version in mind, Jonah and the whale. But this morning, I want to unpack the book of Jonah, and my prayer is that it would go much deeper, and we would get a richer, more fuller understanding of what the story is about. And it's so much more than the whale. The, the whale in the book of Jonah is only mentioned in two sentences in the whole book. Four chapters, only two sentences on the whale. And so would you join me this morning as I pray that God would help us in what he's trying to show us this morning. So let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here in this place because where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. We thank you that your goodness chases after us, that you are exalted to the highest place. We ask this morning, would you open our eyes afresh to perceive you? Father, would you touch our hearts, reawaken them this morning? to receive you. And Father, would you touch our minds to believe you and the things that you're wanting to say to us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. So what is the book of Jonah all about? I believe the author of this book, his primary intention was to reveal to us God's missional heart that all would be saved, that all would come to a knowledge of who he is, a loving, forgiving, merciful God whose goodness chases after all people. And that when we turn to God with all our hearts in true repentance, God meets us right where we're at, and he forgives us. And I believe the author, in revealing God's heart, at the same time uses the character of Jonah as an archetype, a representative of people, of you and I. And in revealing God's heart through the story of Jonah, God is showing us 
how often our hearts are anything but God's heart for the people around us. They're actually, at times, the exact opposite to God's heart. And so the story begins with Jonah essentially being commissioned as a missionary. Now, I love this book, being the missions pastor. I get an opportunity to preach about one of the first missionaries, Jonah, being called to go, being commissioned to go and to take God's word. And we see as the story unfolds that Jonah responds quite poorly to this commissioning of God and chooses instead to run as fast as his little feet could run away from this call of God upon his life. So instead of Jonah in the story bringing this message of God's heart and love, this missional heart of God to the nations around him, achieving God's purposes through his life, we actually see that Jonah's feet follow his own heart, not God's heart. I will follow you not. So who was Jonah? Let's get into it. Who was Jonah? We don't know a lot about him. It's believed he lived around 8 BC. We know he was a historical figure because around 750 years later, Jesus when confronted by the religious leaders of the, of the law, by the Pharisees, and demanding a sign, this is how Jesus responds to them in Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so we see Jesus, when confronted for a sign to prove he was the Messiah, he uses Jonah as a prefigure of Jesus' own death and resurrection after three days. And we see Jesus refer to Jonah, this historical figure, as a prophet. Now, a prophet was understood to be someone who was given a divine message, someone who was given a word of the Lord for the people. And so Jonah was a minor prophet, meaning... Uh, it's the amount of, of work or writing in the story, a minor prophet versus a major prophet. And so Jonah's given a message as a prophet to deliver to the people. Let's have a look at Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So there it is, the prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, we're not told how the word came to him. Was it a, a, a thunderbolt? Was it a dream? Was it a, a streak of lightning? What was it that somehow brought the word of the Lord? We're not told how it came or in what form it came. But we're told the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And what was the word of the Lord? What was the message that he was to deliver, the divine message? 
Let's go on. Verse two. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So what does Jonah do? Verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, modern day Tel Aviv. He's in Jerusalem. He goes down to Tel Aviv where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So let's get a visual here. Let's get a map up and see if we can understand this. So here he is in Jerusalem. The word of the Lord comes to him. We're told that very clearly, to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, Mosul, the city of Mosul. So he's in Jerusalem. He's told to go to Nineveh, Mosul. He instead flees down to Tel Aviv, Joppa, and he catches Caribbean cruises to the south of Spain, Tarshish. Obviously, they didn't have COVID in those days. Sinking uh, ship of COVID. Anyway, he gets on this boat and off he heads to southern Spain, to Tarshish. Future gateway beyond work or not. Someone who re responds so poorly to the, to the word of the Lord to go to Nineveh. And what we need to understand is Jonah, he knew the word of the Lord. Jonah knew the early scriptures he knows about the Psalms. The, the reason I know that is because chapter two of the book of Jonah is full of the Psalms. He's actually quoting the Psalms. So Jonah, this one who receives this word of the Lord, this message to take to the people, he knows David's Psalm, Psalm 139, a very popular Psalm, where David says, where? Where, God, can I flee from your presence? If I go to the far side of the ocean, David tells us you are there. If I flee to the highest heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, even there your hand shall find me. David knew there was nowhere he could flee from, from God's presence. And so did Jonah. Jonah knew he couldn't flee from God's presence, yet here is Jonah, this man of God, that what does he do? I will flee as fast as my feet will carry me to southern Spain to eat the oranges because it's much nicer in that part of the world. I don't want to take this message of wickedness and, and destruction to the people. And I can relate to that. This selective motivation to, to follow God. I will follow God not. We see that particularly in our lives, if you can relate to this, when, when we feel God is calling us to, to do something or to step out in some way, to open our mouth maybe with our neighbor or someone at work or a family member, to, to, to reach out. A lot of us just even in say good day, we sit there praying no one will come and talk to us because it's, it, it requires so much of us. Particularly, sometimes we struggle when, 
when God calls us to, to maybe read a scripture in a group meeting, in a prayer meeting, or to pray a prayer, or to sing a song, and we sit there and we think, God, no, and our heart's pounding and our palms are sweaty and we know God's saying, read a scripture or pray out or, or, or talk to that person or, or, or do that. And we, we pray that God will leave us alone and choose somebody else. The number of times I've been in a prayer meeting and my palms are sweaty and, and I feel like I, I have to sing a song or, or do something and so I, I start singing, hoping everyone will join in. I love you, Lord and I lift my voice, hoping the crowd will just carry me, and everyone just sits there in the prayer meeting, and I'm committed, it is karaoke to the nth degree. I just gotta carry on, acapella karaoke. Thinking, ground, swallow me now. Take me out of this purgatory that I'm putting everyone through. I understand how difficult it is and why perhaps Jonah ran away from the Lord to go to Nineveh. But let's unpack this a little bit more. What do we know about Nineveh? Nineveh was a capital city of Assyria. Assyrians, Assyria was the superpower of that era. They were the oppressors. They were the ones who overtook other nations. They were the ones who demanded allegiance from the Israelites and from other nations. And they were known to be bloodthirsty. They were known to be a violent people. They were known to having skinned their enemies, skinning them alive, their enemies and, and anyone who opposed them. And as a sign to all those around them, they would skin them alive and then hang their skins on the city walls for everyone else as a warning. See what happens when you come against us. And so to Jonah, to the Israelites, they were offensive, they were vile, they were people that Jonah, I really believe, hated with all of his heart. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. We also know that in Jonah 3, Nineveh was a very large city, we're told. It took three days to go through it. A large city. Look, I come from a little town in far north Queensland, Mariba. I tell you, it takes two days, two seconds to go through Mariba. You blink, you miss it, type scenario. But having lived in Mumbai, Bombay, I want to tell you, sometimes it feels like it takes two weeks to get across Mumbai. It's so huge. So Nineveh, we're told a bit later on, had 120,000 inhabitants. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot in our time, but in those days, that was a huge, big trading city. It was influential, it was oppressive, it was this huge, big city that had no fear of the Israelite God, of Yahweh, no knowledge of Yahweh. And it was full of corruption and perversity. Think Sodom and Gomorrah type scenario. And so when God calls Jonah to go and preach against this oppressive superpower regime city of Nineveh, Jonah, I'm sure, wasn't like, oh, yes, please, send me, God, to bring this message that their wickedness 
had come up before God. And notice this, God doesn't say, Jonah, simply write a message of the Ninevites. Jonah, simply pray for the Ninevites. God doesn't do that. He says, Jonah, pack up your belongings and go to Nineveh, to actually physically go. And we see Jonah responds by running in the opposite direction. And I've often thought, why? What was going on in Jonah's heart? Because again, if the author is trying to use him as a representative of you and I, the condition of humanity, what goes on sometimes? And I, I've often thought maybe Jonah was fearful. I know I would be. Maybe he was scared. Imagine this city that skinned people alive, this, this city that was a superpower of that era, and you're called to preach against them that their wickedness has come up before God. I can imagine that for Jonah, this was a hard message to take to a hard nation, a hard people. To me, it would be like being called today as a missionary to the hard places to the hard nations, which are the unreached nations today, places like Iraq, Iran, North Korea, the places where there's a real cost involved to bring a message of the gospel to them. Two very good friends of mine, they know what it is to reach the hard places. My friend Dan Bauman, a gentleman that I used to work with in Youth with a Mission, Dan was ministering to the people of Iran and he knew God told him to take a message to them and he was arrested, he was charged with spying, he was thrown into jail in Iran, this was in 1997 and he was in jail for several months, he was abused, he was tortured before being released. He knew what it was to take the message of the gospel to a hard place. Another friend of mine, he knew real fear. His name is Kenneth Bay. Some of you may remember this story. He was a South Korean who, by the way, if we've got South Koreans in this room, the greatest missionaries, I believe. As a South Korean, he was called to take the gospel into North Korea. In North Korea in 2013, he was in prison, charged with espionage, spying. He was sentenced to 15 years hard labor in a North Korean labor camp. He ended up serving 20 months. He wrote a book called Not Forgotten. The journey he went through in that 20 months and not knowing if he would even live to survive. These gentlemen, and like so many of our Gateway Beyond workers, right around the world, know what it is to be called as a missionary to the hard places. When I was uh, working in South Asia, I, it's not North Korea, but it had its own challenges. I worked in Maharashtra, the, one of the states in India. They had what was called an anti-conversion law. You could be jailed for up to seven years if you were found to be proselytizing 
sharing the gospel and leading people away from the faith of their fathers. You could be imprisoned for up to seven years. I know what that's like. I had several times a secret police, and there are secret police versus normal police, knocking on my door and questioning me as to why I was there and what I was doing. And my heart would be going 1,000 miles an hour. Just walking up to immigration in India, my heart would often be pounding 1,000 miles an hour. I know real fear. But I tell you, that was nothing compared to uh, the last four years I started overseeing our work in Asia Pacific. And as part of my, my role, I would travel into China and to other nations, training our workers. And uh, one day, I was back here in Australia, I got a phone call from one of our foreign workers who had been working in that nation and he rang me because the team that he had been working with had been rounded up and for three days interrogated by the police. And during the interrogation, apparently my name got brought up. What was my role? What was I doing there? How was I involved? And so he rang me when he got blacklisted and deported from the nation. He went into Thailand and the first thing he did was rang me and he said, Eleanor, I have to warn you, the authorities have your name. Don't go back, because you will be arrested. And ever since, I tell you, and this will probably be now for several more years, I don't go to China, I don't go to Taiwan, I don't go to Macau, I won't go to Hong Kong if my flights are going through those nations. I barely can step foot in a Chinese takeaway restaurant <laughs> without starting to panic. <laughs> I know fear. I know what it's like to face fear. And so I get it. It reminds me of a song back in the late 80s. I know many of you maybe weren't born. But there was a song and it went like this. Please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm just a man, I'm not a Tarzan. I don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. That's how I used to feel about India. Please don't send me to India. I don't like spicy food. I don't like hot weather. So where do I go, India? I'd rather be called to the Swiss Alps, to be honest. Chocolate, cheese, I can yodel or try to. You know, I think for many of us, we can relate to Jonah. We can relate to fear, the fear that comes when we sense God is calling us to step out, whether it's with a prayer, whether it's to our neighbor or our work colleague or our friend. We know that that real pounding, that physical sensation in our body. And I think for a lot of us, we think, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, I, and the fear ends up paralyzing us. So we don't say anything. We don't do anything because we think we're not bold enough because only bold people do that sort of thing. And that's not my personality. I'm a shy person. I'm, I'm an introvert. And we excuse it. We do whatever it takes to avoid to not step out because of fear. And you know, just a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation right here at Gateway. And it's not the first time. This has happened many times. Where somebody said to me, Eleanor, I feel like I should go on a short-term team 
you know, Gateway, we offer many wonderful opportunities for short-term teams to different places, both here in Australia and around the world. Jump on our website if you don't know anything about those teams. But they had a sense God was calling them to step out in a short-term team. And they said, Eleanor, but I'm scared. What, what, will, the, what will the accommodation be like? And, and what type of ministry will we be doing? And, and what will be the food we'll be eating? All these fears of the unknown, all this anxiety, well, what, what, what? And you know, to this day, that person still hasn't applied because of fear. I know a lot of us can relate to this. But I wanna tell you, I don't believe that's the reason Jonah fled from God, that Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh. I don't believe it was fear. And so we've gotta come back to, okay, if it wasn't fear, well, what else could it be? And perhaps Jonah just didn't wanna do what God had called him to, selective motivation, kind of like Brandy again, my dog. He didn't want to do what God called him to. And, and I think sometimes for some of us, that's, that comes back to the concept we have of God. That God just wants to control us. That God just kind of sometimes wants to boss us around. And anything that's fun, it's like, no, you can't do that. It's kind of like anything with calories is bad for you. Well, it's like sometimes our concept is anything that's fun, God doesn't want us to do it. And ultimately, what lies underneath that is this mistrust that God only wants the best for us, that his goodness does chase after us, that somehow he doesn't really have the best for us. He's just a party pooper and wants to stop us from doing the things we want to do. Is that what was going on? That somehow Jonah didn't want God to control him or to boss him around? Is that why Jonah fled in the opposite direction? It could be that. So the story goes on where we see Jonah conflicted. God's word comes to him to go to Nineveh. He flees to Tarshish. And we see the story unfold. Uh, 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 there's a big storm. He gets thrown overboard. A whale swallows him. Eventually, after three days, the whale regurgitates him onto dry land. But then here comes the kicker. He's up on the dry land now after having gone through all of that. And then in Jonah chapter three, then, then, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And that's the thing with God. God doesn't give up. God keeps going until we do, until we respond to God's calling and God's heart for those around us. If it was me, I would have just given up and went, oh, I'll find someone else. But God doesn't give up on us. And so we see Jonah, off he goes at last. After all he's gone through, he reluctantly heads to Nineveh. And he preaches what I believe has to be the worst sermon I have ever heard. It's actually only an eight-word sermon. That would make it a very uh, short and brief preaching slot. Eight words, you ready? Jonah 3.4. This is his amazing sermon he delivers to the Ninevites. 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the word he brings after all he went through. It's what I call the bare bones message. I can see him going 40 more days and like reluctantly delivering this message. And how do the Ninevites respond to this eloquent, profound, mighty message? We see the king of Nineveh. He says to the people, not only the people, but to the animals, to the animals of Nineveh, he says the following, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So even though Jonah delivers this bare-bone, eight-word message to the Ninevites, they respond with absolute repentance, with sackcloth and ashes, people and animals. And it goes on. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So when God saw their repentance, his kindness leads to repentance. God was merciful. God was forgiving, and God relented from bringing the punishment. And this irked Jonah. This annoyed Jonah. We see it goes on. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. It wasn't just a little bit wrong to Jonah. It was very wrong. Why did it seem wrong to Jonah? Why did this annoy Jonah? Why did it make him angry? And I believe if we get this, this is one of the main points of the whole story of Jonah. I believe in Jonah's eyes... God's decision to relent, to spare the Ninevites was unjust. To Jonah, the Ninevites were vile. The Ninevites were oppressive. The Ninevites were horrible and they deserved punishment. They deserved what God gave them in, in Jonah's eyes. Suck it to them, God. They deserve it for all the oppression and all the evil they have inflicted upon your people. In Jonah's eyes, in Jonah's heart, the Ninevites deserved God's punishment and destruction, God's death, total destruction. And just because they said sorry, just because they repented, in Jonah's eyes, it wasn't right. God simply had to follow through on what he said he was going to do. 
it wasn't right just simply to forgive him, forgive them. And Jonah says in, in Jonah chapter four, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. In other words, Jonah knew God's heart of goodness, God's heart of mercy, God's heart of love that led people to repentance. But in Jonah's heart, he couldn't let go. He couldn't let go of the offense. He couldn't let go of the hatred. He simply could not forgive them. They deserved to be punished as far as he was concerned. He was so sincere. He was so absolute in his conviction. He would rather die than see that those people forgiven. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us here in this room, at home, can relate to people, your Ninevites, people that not once, not twice, they've hurt you. People that have intentionally or unintentionally inflicted pain upon you. People who have wounded your heart, have bruised your heart, not once, not twice, but again and again and again. And there's such a hardness, there's such a callousness of pain in our heart, we can't, we simply can't forgive them. We recognize that just forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that we will trust them enough because change in our hearts takes time. Healing is a process. And God knows that about us. Just because somebody says sorry, I'm sorry, not once, not twice, maybe 10 times, doesn't take away sometimes the pain that we carry in our hearts. And God knows that about us. He knows how we're formed. He knows each one of us in this room. He sees our hearts. He sees the bruising. He sees the barbs that have gotten lodged into our heart and into our spirit. He understands us. He knows how we're formed, the same as he knew Jonah. Yet God turns to Jonah and essentially rebukes him. He says, in my own words, Jonah, what's your problem? You would rather that I punish the Ninevites. You would rather that I destroy them. You would rather that I slay them than I save them. And we see that God, this God of, of love and compassion, the exact opposite in Jonah's life. Instead of love and compassion, Jonah only could have hatred and judgment in his heart. Where God was merciful, where God was forgiving and relenting, Jonah only had unforgiveness and resentment 
and bitterness. And just like Jonah, our feet always follow our heart. Away from God's purposes or towards God's purposes. How, God, can I possibly move towards that person? How can I possibly go to that Ninevite place, that person, that, that situation? How, God, can I possibly go and forgive them and love them and, and not try and do everything in my power to avoid them? You know, as I have been preparing this message, I've been wrestling with this message for around a month now. I was convicted. I have people in my own life who are Ninevites to me. People that for whatever reason, I try to avoid them. As a matter of fact, if I see them coming, I'll go that way. So if you walk towards me and I go that way, honestly, it's not you. People that are my kryptonites, people that, like Superman, I feel like they zap me of my super Christian powers when I'm around them. People that intentionally, unintentionally have wounded my heart. And I can't, yes, I can forgive them, but it doesn't change the wounding that I feel. I don't wanna bless them, I don't wanna serve them, I don't wanna go to them. I just want to avoid them. And just like Jonah, as I wrestled with this message, I know there are people in this room, it's the same for you. There are people that you want to avoid because they have hurt, they have wounded for whatever reasons. And I know for me, I cannot have God's heart I cannot move out to bless and to serve. I cannot step out in God's purposes until I deal with the ugliness in my own heart, with this ten tendency towards wanting to run away. Fight or flight, I just want to flight. I don't want to face it. I don't want to face that person. And I know the only way that is going to change is God somehow changes my heart. And he is a God who is in the heart-changing business, the heart-transplant business. I know that in Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet is writing about the Lord. And the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This morning, I believe, church, that God wants to do a new work in our hearts this morning. And whether you're joining us online or you're here in the room, God's word has come to us today, the word of the Lord. And he wants to do a work within us 
to replace the bruised, tattered, barb-filled hearts with His heart, that our feet could follow His heart. And so this morning, I want us to respond to the Lord. As I've been sharing, maybe pictures of faces of people have come to mind. God has brought up examples in your own life, people that are Ninevites to you, people that have offended you, people that you just don't like, people that you just don't trust, people that have bruised and damaged your heart. God this morning, I know, wants to give you a new heart. For others of you, fear is holding you back. You know you ought to step out. You ought to go to that person in Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, we're told if your brother or sister has sinned against you, go to that person. Not them come to you. Well, that person hurt me. They can come to me. No, he says go. Go to that brother or that sister. He's calling us right now for some of you in this room. He's calling you to step out, to go to that person to trust that God is leading you, that he has a message of reconciliation that he wants to bring through you. And just like Jonah, when Jonah eventually stepped out and preached that message, what do we see happen? We see a king and even animals and people, a whole nation turn back to God. We essentially see a revival happen, a revival in a nation simply because Jonah was willing to step out. How much more so for you and I when we step out in faith, when we let go and let God touch those bruised, broken hearts, God is able to match it and do amazing things to bring about His purposes and plans. When we step out in faith, when we respond in faith to God. But I know there's an internal wrestle that goes on inside of us. An internal wrestle of, do I really wanna let go? Do I really want to go to that person where fear grips our heart and it paralyzes us? But God wants to say this morning, church, my perfect love casts out fear. This morning, open your hearts, bring that person to me and I will give you my heart, my heart of flesh because I am the God who fills you with perfect love to cast out fear. So if you're online this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Just click on the button and then we have a prayer team that would love to connect with you. Bring that name, bring that person to the Lord. And for others of us in this room this morning, I want us to respond to the Lord. And I wanna invite you this morning as we stand, if you would all mind standing, if you feel you would like to, as just a response to the Lord, 
If God has been speaking to your heart, if the word of the Lord has come to you today, and there's a person you've struggled with, or there's a situation that you find it so hard to let go of, just as a sign of response to the Lord, just stretch out your hands this morning. And I believe God will meet us, that He wants to replace that fear, that He wants to replace that heart. As we come to Him, as we come to His altar this morning, just stretch out your hands and say, Father, I recognize I'm broken and I'm hurting inside and I come to you this morning. Let's respond to the Lord. from you taking the first step. There's no doubt we need the courage of the Lord to do it. We need to feel His presence, but we know in our heart it's the next thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And there is, just like Jonah, there is actually revival possible, but somebody's got to make the first step. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, I'd love us to just pray together for you. Wherever you are, just put your hands out this morning. I just love the Spirit of God to come and fill our hearts to put boldness inside us for that step what can feel like sometimes about 20 seconds of bravery 
to take that step might result in revival in that relationship, in reconciliation in that relationship, in God bringing back all that has been stolen, the steps needed. Come on this morning, if that's you, I just want you to, in your seat where you are, put your hands out this morning. We're going to pray together. You might be standing here saying, God, I don't know how this will be possible. I don't even know where I'm going to get the strength from to do it, but I know I should. Come on, why don't you reach out to Him this morning, right across this place. Let's let the presence and power of God help us do what the kingdom of God says. He calls us to love one another. God, this morning, we draw from your power. God, we know that we get to the end of ourselves and we don't have what we need to take that next step. But God, you have what we need. And God, for each person, you see every story. You see where the wounds have come from, where the hurts have come from. But God, this morning, Father, you're asking us to take that step of reconciliation, that step, God, where we reach out in love. Father, we ask you for the courage to do it. We ask you for the power to do it. Father, would you soften the heart of the other person, God? Lord, what we do in obedience, Lord, we step in by faith, knowing that you're at work in the other person's heart. God, we ask you for reconciliation. We ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for restoration. God, would you bring back to us all that has been stolen? God, would you bring back, Lord Jesus, the strength of relationship, God, that we once had? God, you are the God that heals. You are the God that restores. We put our faith in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. There'll be others this morning, and you say, look, I'd like to just pray that through a little bit more. Uh, I'd like you to just come, and, and if the prayer team could come now, that'd be great. Just come and let someone agree with you by faith. There's something about this message. I love what Ellen has preached, the heart of this this morning. But I reckon there's going to be people, your testimony, your story will be, God restored to me. God restored to me. Come and allow these people to pray for you. There'll be others here. Your journey needs to be a bit deeper. Maybe you need to go and speak to someone, get some counselling before you take the next step. Can I encourage you to do it? Life is short and people matter. And God is calling us to do that. In Jesus' name, have a great week. Thanks for being in church with us this morning. What a great message. Can we put our hands together for Eleanor this morning? I think she preached the heart of God. It's wonderful. Please come if you'd like prayer. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. See you in church next weekend. Bless you all. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. We're a growing family. And if you'd like to discover more about where we meet in all our locations and online, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au.